0: hello it's friday the 3rd of november this is anthony day this is the sustainable futures report but this one is different
1: indeed it is thank you anthony this is in fact manda scott standing in this week for anthony while he's away hosting a conference we thought this was the podcast nears its 200th edition it would be interesting to hear from anthony himself who he is, what he does when he's not presenting the report, how he got here, and where he's going. Don't forget, if you like the report, you can support it on patreon.com slash SFR. And in the meantime, I interviewed Anthony last week, and my first question was, Anthony, who are you? And what do you do when you're not presenting
0: the Sustainable Futures report? Well, there's two big questions there, aren't there? Who am I? I'll tell you what I do when I'm not actually uh, presenting the Sustainable Futures Report. Uh, of course, writing it, researching it, and uh, talking to audiences whenever I get the chance uh, about it. The other things I get involved in is our local community energy organisation. Um, I keep my bees. We have an allotment, so I wouldn't say we're self-sufficient, but uh, we do like to, to grow a few things like that. Yeah, I'm in Toastmasters, which is the um, international speaking and listening and uh, leadership organization, and that's taking a lot of time. Uh, I'm actually director of their autumn conference, which takes place in two weeks, which is taking a lot of my time just at the moment. And uh, we have grandchildren. Uh, I shouldn't really say that some of them are in Australia, because if we go down there, as we will do in December, there is a carbon footprint. But... um, that's the sort of things that I do. But if you, if you say, who am I? Um, what have I done? Uh, in the perhaps pump. it's better to let's go back of how did you get from there to
1: here? What led you to being the kind of person who would set up the Sustainable Futures?
0: <laughs> Always been interested in sustainability and the environment for a very, very long time. In fact, I'm going to show you this. This is the Bible. The Ecologist Blueprint for Survival, which um, I bought it when it came out. Yes. Is that January nineteen seventy-two. The interesting thing is it says, to start with, an examination of the relevant information available has impressed upon us the extreme gravity of the global situation today. For if current trends are allowed to persist, the breakdown of society and the irreversible disruption of the life support systems on this planet, possibly by the end of the century, certainly within the lifetimes of our children, are inevitable. That's 45 years ago, isn't it? Yes, it is.
1: I was just doing the calculations. That's exactly 45 years ago. And they're right. We just have to look around the world and find that they were right. So what were you doing then, 45 years ago, that led you to be
0: reading The Ecologist? Well, what I was actually doing is I was working in a water meter factory as an organization and methods officer in Yorkshire. But I was I was interested in, in environmental issues, in, in um, low-impact living and that sort of thing. I, I don't know where it all came from, but... Um, It's an interest which I've had in the back of my mind for a very long time. And uh, what actually crystallized it was much more recent when I read a book called The End of Oil, uh, talking about peak oil. And I realized that there was going to be a problem there. If we were totally based on fossil fuels and we were using it faster than we were replacing it with new discoveries, it was going to be really, really serious. Of course, the world's changed an awful lot since then. Well, fracking has revolutionized oil and gas in the States. And there have been techniques which mean that... um, We can recover far more fossil fuels, but we've also realised the dangers of using fossil fuels and we've developed renewables. Um, I went back actually to 2007 when I started doing the Sustainable Futures Report, or at least I started doing podcasts, I didn't call it that then. It was quite interesting to listen to myself talking about what went on in 2007 We had just, uh, or the Carbon Trust had just launched the carbon footprint label. Now, I don't know whether you remember that, but Walker's Crisps got in on that. And on every packet, there was a little carbon footprint label which said, these 37 grams of crisps have cost emissions of 75 grams of CO2. And the idea was that you'd put that on every product and people would realize what the impact was. The Carbon Trust still exists, but I don't think it does carbon labeling anymore partly because the methodology is extremely difficult to um, to create uh, on a consistent basis. I mean, things like if an organisation is totally vertically integrated, if it owned the farms which grew the potatoes, it owned the lorries that transported them as well as the factories and all that sort sort of thing, then it could identify the carbon at every single stage. But if it didn't, then it got messy and, and difficult. And I think that's why it never took off. But at the same time, and I'd forgotten all about this, Ed Miliband was saying that everybody in the country should have a carbon allowance. And the idea was that you had, um, everybody was given carbon credits. And if you wanted to fly off for Australia and you hadn't got enough carbon credits, then you'd buy them on the market. And this was a way of redistributing income because people who wanted to go on exotic holidays would buy the credits from people who hadn't got the means or the interest in going on these exotic holidays and they would make money out of these carbon credits which the government had given them for nothing. But that's an idea which is life isn't it?
1: Yeah, it might be worth reviving. Yes. I, one of the reasons I think some of us thought that Ed Miliband would make a good leader of the Labour Party was that he was an exceptionally good environment minister. He was, yes. He was, yes. He had yes. really innovative ideas. He just wasn't the hierarchy of the party at that point didn't let him do anything with them. Um, and obviously when he became leader that all evaporated which is incredibly sad. Do you think either of those the carbon footprint label or carbon credits might be something that would be worth reviving now
0: or is it too late? I, I think that the- there are too many difficulties with the carbon label for it to actually be introduced. But I think carbon credits is quite a good idea. Um, I've talked on the podcast a few times about the universal basic income. And there is quite a lot of chat about a universal basic income. That might be a way or it might be something uh, which, which is done in parallel with the universal ba- basic income. It, it's a way of giving benefit to the less fortunate people in society. Um, yes, and, and it's a way of creating a currency, a parallel currency, in
1: which the banks, one hopes, that you could change the trading rules so that it wasn't something that could be shoveled into a Panama account, <laughs> um, so that so that it became something that effectively was... A, a national but global counter-currency. And then if you were to link it to ways of producing energy that were sort of renewable methods, so suppose if we gave everybody a solar panel and they could put it on their roof, and that way they could generate their own carbon credits by creating their own energy, then you begin to have ways of currency and trading that are not linked to things that the banks create out of nothing. Yeah. Yes. So I think it would be quite exciting.
0: Yes. Well, maybe that's something that could be done, but it's, there is no political appetite at the moment. Everybody is, unfortunately, totally focused on Brexit, yes. and I don't want to talk about that, because we could no, talk no, no, about that all yes. afternoon. We could, and we would lose a lot of time and bounce our heads off the walls. But all okay. I would say is it's taking a, a, an enormous amount of government time, of civil service time, and money. And, um both of which could be used better elsewhere.
1: Yes. Yes, in every in every sense it's a catastrophe. So yeah. Yes. yeah, anyway. So how did you come to set up the Sustainable Futures report?
0: What was your what was your aim and how did you get to do it? Well, I think the aim was to raise my profile, also to develop credibility. And I think it's done that in that I can now turn around and say I've done nearly 200 episodes. Uh, I was wrong when I said uh, on the latest um, episode that I it was about 224. I thought I'd done more podcasts than than blogs, but in fact it's the other way around. I've done 196 so far, so... Uh, But it does seem to be raising the profile because I've had people approach me and say that they want to appear on the um, Sustainable Futures Report. I've got uh, an interview with the International Copper Association, which will come out on the 1st of December. I've got an organization, a humanist organization, which wants to talk about the sort of challenges from sustainability in a humanist context. Uh, I've also got an organisation which is in nuclear fusion and they want to talk about things uh, as well. So, <laughs> magical technology that is always 40 years away. That would be really interesting. Uh, well, yes, uh, but I've had somebody else who, who contacted me about that a while ago and I'm very remiss that I haven't actually followed up on him because um, I went back with that response. Oh, yes, yes, it's the one that's always been 40 years out. And he says, no, hang on, things have changed. Really? So I, I need to read up on what he sent me because um, that could be interesting. That in fact, the whole, uh, field is very interesting because while Hinkley Sea, which is going to be the most expensive building site in the world... Yes. and isn't guaranteed to work. And will cost us
1: electricity at twice the current rate yes. guaranteed to the French and the Chinese.
0: Yes. But <laughs> the other thing, of course, is um, the neighbourhood nuclear reactor. Now, the average person is probably not going to like that idea, but we in the UK apparently are leaders in producing compact nuclear reactors, the type that runs submarines. And people live in nuclear submarines right next to nuclear power plants, and they don't suffer any um, ill effects. So I feel if we could put uh, something like that, um, you know, it'd be a few shipping containers at the end of a street. People wouldn't know what it was or or or, or why it was there. But uh, that might be a way forward. I don't know.
1: Would have to be very protected in terms. It would be a terrorist target, wouldn't it? Can you imagine the shipping container at the end of your street, and what happens when somebody decides to
0: run a car bomb into it? Oh yes, oh yes, yes. You'd have to, um, uh, you'd have to take precautions. But of course, it, it'd be so so much smaller than a, a mm-hmm. traditional nuclear power station that, uh, well. Yeah, obviously, one has to think it through.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> nuclear fusion, I feel, it, it really is closer. It's a lot safer.
0: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And then there's the, the thorium reactor. Um, that also is safer, I believe, insofar as apparently the waste from a thorium reactor loses most of its potency in 100 years, whereas from other reactors, it's thousands. It's and tens of thousands. thousands
1: yes, isn't it? That would be interesting, because there was a report in The Guardian this week Um, So we're in the middle of October just now, saying that effectively the civilian nuclear programme was being used to supplement the military nuclear programme and that if it wasn't the case that the military was surviving, the military nuclear programme was surviving on the back of the civilian one, the civilian one probably wouldn't exist. Yes. So if we move to thorium or nuclear fusion, then they don't have any impact on the military. And it would be really interesting to see how much the government suddenly loved nuclear if it didn't have the Department of Defence behind it saying, yes. come on, guys, we need this stuff.
0: Yes, yes. But it's not as so though we're using up our armoury, is it? Every it's nuclear work. bomb that's been made since the Second World War has, has not been used. Yeah, yeah, um, and I would have thought if they need to restructure and so they work in a different way, they could, they could use the existing stock. But then, I don't know, I'm so no expert on that sort of thing.
1: Yes, yes, that's interesting, isn't it? We need to look into what they're actually using it for.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So when you set up the Sustainable Futures Report, it was to raise your profile. Yes. And obviously your, your reach is extending across the world and is growing every day. Yes. Um, what, is, what are your aims now? Your profile is raised and is increasingly raising. Where are you heading with it?
0: Well, I'm looking for the opportunities to actually go and stand on a stage in front of an audience and um, uh, present the ideas. Um, To be honest, I haven't done any uh, sustainability-related presentations for quite a long time um, but um, and the thing is that every time I do a presentation it's it's different because the world is changing I mean I have a lot of colleagues and friends in the professional speaking Association and many of them have a theme and they're producing the same presentation again and again because the truth their truth is constant and it's what they do. They're the person who talks about better presentation skills or they're the person who talks about improving your sales and they're very good at it. Now, I talk about sustainability and a lot of people don't want to hear about it because it's bad news or they see it as bad news. And, um, it, and it changes all the time. So, um, this, but the, the big thing with commercial presentations is the audience says... At the end of your presentation, when I walk away, where's the benefit? Now, a sales presenter can say, your sales force will go out, reinvigorated, and you'll see those numbers rise. I can't say that. All I can say is if you do things this way, you might not actually um, suffer a damage or a loss of business. Uh, I, I can't offer you anything that's actually going to be better, but I can help you um, stop things getting Worse. And of course, it's completely difficult. It's impossible to measure um, how you've actually prevented somebody from making things worse. It's a bit like um, um, somebody was saying something about the man who invented the locks on aircraft doors. Didn't get any recognition for it, but because who can say what terrorist uh, attacks he's prevented?
1: So, what do you think, having got the podcast, which has clearly got a wide reach? Do you still want to stand on a stage and speak to people? Is that likely to have more impact or is it simply that that pays better?
0: Uh, well, hopefully that pays better, yes. <laughs> it's also partly that it, um, I enjoy interacting with a live audience. Anyway, in the meantime, uh, I'm going to follow your lead and go back to school. I've applied to Leeds Beckett University to do a PhD. How fantastic. You know? In sustainability. Uh, at the Institute of Sustainability. Now, apparently, the first six months or so is spent refining the actual scope of the thesis. But what I want to examine is the method of uh, promoting the sustainability message. Things like why denialists are getting all the um, attention and why, in fact, even though this is one of the most serious issues in in history even though the ways that we change things will actually keep people's standard of living where it was and possibly make it even better make it more comfortable people are totally resistant against change and of course there are vested interests because if you're an oil company you want to sell oil and um uh, so that's what i want to study over the next few years Interesting. And is that full-time or part-time? Oh, it'll be part-time, yes. yes. how many years will it take? Oh, it'll probably take five years. Gosh. I really haven't got my head around why it should take such a long time. So uh, once we get a bit further down the um, application process, then I, I hope to actually meet more of the academic staff. Uh, and work out exactly why it does take so long. I think it, because it will involve quite a lot of um, interviews and surveys and censuses and things like that, which will take a t- quite some time to publish and then gather the data from and analyse. But, um, but it's early days. But I, I wanted to do that partly to focus what I do on sustainability because, you know, you look at the Sustainable Futures report, every episode has got at least half a dozen very different topics in it. And, um, you know, am I an expert? Well, in what? Because it's so broad. Maybe this will narrow my field a bit, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, It will also give me two things, which um, uh, I'm looking forward to. It'll give me access to online academic journals. Yep. And quite often I chase stories down. I come up against a paywall. Now I can't afford to subscribe to all these things, obviously. Uh, right. So yeah. as a student, I should be able to get into a lot of these things like nature, for example. Yes, yes so that's um, that's one of the things. And the other thing is a bit of, uh, well, I would like to get some sort of academic credit for what I believe is a large body of knowledge, which I have built up over quite a long time. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So, So in this, as you building towards the PhD, who are your role models in the
0: world of communicating sustainability? Um, <laughs> I think we've got to say Al Gore. He's worked very, very hard. I wasn't impressed with his latest film. That was too much of a, uh, a movie about Al Gore rather than about um, the sustainability agenda. But uh, he's stuck with it. I understand he's even gone vegan, which um, I think is quite a challenge. Um, yeah. Incidentally, I'm going to, when I get time, get hold of the vegan society. Because if you look at their website, it says sustainability all over it. So I'm going to get hold of them and say, look, let's have an interview. Explain to me why I should be vegan. I'm not saying I will be, but you know. Um I tell you, it's, it's very, very difficult to, to think of a role model, but um, one person who impresses me is Elon Musk. Now, do you know who I mean? Yes, absolutely. Tesla tiles, Tesla cars. Yes. Yes. Well, F- Elon Musk actually started, I believe, uh, setting up PayPal and they made his money there. He set up Tesla, yes, which markets electric cars everywhere in the world, as far as I can see. And he's in the process of launching his mass market car. He also is chief executive. And in fact, this is in more than name. He's chief executive of Tesla cars. He's chief executive of SpaceX, is the company which... Uh, has successfully launched missions to the space station and has supplied the space station. They've developed a rocket which will actually come back and land. Um, the, the sort of technology that uh, that he's uh, stimulated, I think, is amazing. And he's only 46. And if you read the um, uh, account of how his working week goes, it's, it's quite incredible. So that's somebody to, to watch, I think. Yes. And a lot of the things he's doing are... Um, very green but i'm not altogether sure that i agree with space tourism uh, well, but well
1: the idea of an exodus to mars that those who can afford it or those who are chosen will be able to get to mars when the when this planet finally is uninhabitable which is
0: yes and the um, end, yes. End aim of spacex well that's interesting yes he's talking about a colony of a million people on mars and uh, stephen hawking is also saying that the future of the human race is on mars um, I think people have got to realise that's the future of the human race as a species. They're not suggesting all seven and a half billion of us will actually go there. No. Um,
1: and, and what's amazing, I think, is that they're looking at Mars and thinking, well, that could be inhabitable, and not looking at Planet Earth and thinking, well, it's pretty inhabitable now, and we yes. can stop it becoming uninhabitable. Without needing to send everyone off tomorrow, which currently you know is, is, is significantly less inhabitable. But. Uh, yes.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So where we're going was, we're not going to talk about Brexit. We're not necessarily, we're not going to talk about Trump. But the world is in the state that it is in. The denialists are have some very strong arguments to which a lot of people are listening and our culture is not giving everything that it has to reversing the impacts of climate change and to mitigating further carbon losses. How do you see the world progressing in the next five to ten years? First of all, as it is. And second, what if we were to get it right? What if everybody was to listen
0: to the Sustainable Futures Report hmm. and, and believe it? Well, are people going to make uh, radical changes in the next five to 10 years? I think not, you know, because you're looking back at 2007, an awful lot of books were being published at that time about climate change and environmental issues. The, there was the May Day Conference, which was uh, led by the Prince of Wales. And that was a conference across the whole of the UK. I mentioned it in the podcast recently. It was uh, networked with video links to half a dozen or no, probably 20 different places across the United Kingdom and the following year they did it again, and the year after that they did it again, and each year it got smaller and smaller and they don't do it anymore. Um, We've seen George Osborne change the rules on uh, car tax because we did have a whole range of different um, uh, car tax bans dependent on the amount of CO2 which the cars emitted. Every car is exactly the same unless it's pure electric. So people have just sort of thought, well, well they don't think about it anymore. You're going to buy a new car. Are you concerned about emission? No, not at all. Well, why not? Yeah. It's, um, there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go. And, um, well, I think we can only make people change if we can make them see that it's in their interests. And, and that is the conundrum which... Um, Well, I think everybody would like to know the answer to uh, how you can influence people to accept change.
1: So, um, final question then. Do you have a message for those of us who listen to the Sustainable Futures report week in, week out? What would you have us do besides listening? If you had a message just for the listeners,
0: what would it be? tell me what you like, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. Let me focus it on what you think is important because I'm sitting in a vacuum, I'm looking at the press, I'm listening to, uh, I'm searching the media, I pick up things which I think are interesting but it's got to be something which helps you develop your understanding and um, I'm here to to do that for for the people who, who listen to it. Um, And The other thing I think I would say is a practical thing you can do, check your carbon footprint. I'm going to check my own. We had um, Professor Kaplan the other day talking about how he has got a four-ton carbon footprint as against 22 tons, which the average American does. I bumped into somebody the other day. He said he won a prize a few years ago for having uh, the lowest carbon footprint in the UK, and he reckoned it was one tonne. So I think what we'll look at is um, not only what our carbon footprints are, but we'll look at the different measures, the different uh, algorithms on the internet and to see whether one measure gives a different result from another. And maybe we should challenge each other to review our carbon footprints every year and to see uh, how we're doing. Fantastic. So, Anthony Day,
1: creator of the Sustainable Futures Report, thank you very much for coming along to answer questions, and I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. And if you have, guys, then you need to write in and let Anthony know whether you like this or not, whether you'd like more things like this, and particularly, do tell him what it is that you'd like to hear so that he can focus in more closely on that. Anthony, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.